0: Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for uh, introducing us. And um, I've uh, I've had the pleasure of working with FIFO um, in several areas, including their health and safety index, also their uh, environment, health and safety uh, leadership workshops, uh, as well as some auditing and helping with gap analysis um, and, and areas of auditing such as ISO. So, I've done quite a, a bit of work with FIFO, and really enjoy working with the team. And looking forward to uh, going through this with with you all today. So today's agenda, uh, we'll be focusing on um, the first few slides, a recap on what we've already looked at over the previous weeks. We'll then be going into setting clear expectations, uh, building capability, pitfalls, uh, and leading practices. Um, And uh, as I said, we look forward to going through that with all of you.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. So a bit of a recap from webinars one and two. some of the things that we we try and um, promote and encourage organisations to do before they embark on a critical control management programme is to really understand where they're at today and where they want to be. So not every organisation is different. A Rio Tinto or a BHP, you know, have a huge amount of resources, capability and expertise, which could be very different to some smaller organisations or built differently. So It's definitely not a a one size fits all. We also provide different methods to measure current performance around critical control management. We do have an online assessment organizations can tap into as well as a a risk critical control uh, workbook, which enables organizations a bit of a step-by-step guide on, on how to both identify major unwanted events, critical controls, and some of the things that we'll be talking about today. So setting expectations and performance standards. So if we just take a a step back and look at the bigger picture, setting expectations is one of the fundamental ingredients to building high-performing cultures um, and operating effectively. Um, On the screen, we've got a dashboard of the health and safety index results. And you can see there for this particular example, setting clear expectations, one of the dimensions um, was a little bit lower scoring compared to, to some other areas. Um, As we start talking about setting expectations or performance standards around critical control management, um, it's important to understand that you don't necessarily need um, a sophisticated system to set expectations. Um, Setting expectations could vary from um, just a basic, really effective conversation around role expectations. Um, It could be access to process or or clear and easy-use systems. Um, The dot points we have here around setting expectations, be it um, around having effective conversations as a senior leader um, or linking job demands um, or um, linking between the the organisation and the job activity, um, are are some basic questions we've got um, in the health and safety index. um, And it relates very much into what we're talking today around setting expectations and outlining performance standards. So some examples of um, performance standards on the screen, we've got um, a bit of a sample of what our workbook looks like and it might help share some learning today for the people on the call. Um, A lot of organisations who are involved in high risk work generally have a safe work method statement or something similar um, around setting expectations on controls. So that's very much fundamental basic legal compliance for for many organisations. All the way through to leading practices um, around setting some quite detailed performance criteria on how to verify uh, a critical control. So, we'll be going through those today um, just to give people a bit of an idea of the differences between um, various ways to, to set expectations and critical control performance standards. So Performance criteria. Um, If um, the listeners refer back to some of our advice around the ICMM guideline for critical control management, they outline some really good practical examples around setting some performance criteria. Um, As organisations start to do this, there are lots of different examples. So here's um, what we call a level four and a level five example of setting performance standards. So the first um, unwanted event um, really outlines a few critical controls, um, such as installing um, RCDs or residual current devices as a critical control to um, help prevent um, some sort of electric shock or electrocution. Um, And fire detection um, is often a a really good critical control to to prevent fire. some options organizations have, they can have some performance criteria as it relates to um, the unwanted event at a, at a broader level. Um, and those that criteria could be, uh, for example, with RCDs, um, um, the trip um, and the measurements in around, Or how, how do we verify that the RCD is actually working? And that the method of verification could be an injection test and um, the supporting frequency. Some other examples could be um, testing and tagging. So on construction sites, the frequency could be a little bit different. But again, um, the critical control around having that RCD in place um, and then some basic criteria around what, how, and when the critical control could be verified. If we take that to another level, um, level five, um, and some of these examples are outlined in the ICMM guideline, We've just created a, bit of a framework on how organizations can apply it. If we look at fire detection um, as a critical control, there's various ways we can break that down um, into various performance parameters uh, ranging from functionality all the way through to redundancy. Um, one mistake organizations often make is they confuse dependency um, with independence. So Um, It is best practice to have your critical controls independent of each other. Otherwise, it's like a a house of cards or a set of dominoes. If one goes down, the rest go down. Um, Dependency often is what are some of those enables or other things that the organization needs to rely on to to make that critical control actually effective. So um, a good example could be systems or training, et cetera, that would support that RCD. Um, And the example around fire uh, detection, now, a redundancy example could be something as simple as a backup cell power supply um, if, the, if the current fire detection system were to fail. So, as you can see, there's, there's lots of different ways you can skin a cat. Um, it's fair to say that um, performance standards is probably one of the more complex and arguably um, one of the most confused areas around critical control management. So, it's really clear from the outset that you really want to understand where you play. So, if you want something um, relatively Simple, um, something easy for the organisation to, to use, particularly if you're starting out. We generally recommend to start around the level two or level three, rather than sort of getting to this this level of detail. So, um, Caitlin, um, over to you in terms of setting uh, roles and responsibilities.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mark. So. Uh... With this um, particular slide here, it's really highlighting that everyone plays a role in critical control management. So at the top of that triangle there under govern and design, um, and we do have the two, uh, I guess, uh, swim lanes either side of that, whether it's operations or health and safety personnel, but at the very top, uh, particularly looking at something like setting standards, it's really that senior leadership that outline uh, or approve what those standards are and what are the thresholds that we're going to work under there. We then move down into that second layer around management. So management then lead uh, that critical control program throughout their operational area. And as a health and safety personnel, we help facilitate things such as bow tie workshops to make sure that uh, the right people are engaged and we are addressing those. We then work into that uh, third layer, which is manage and coach. Um, So as health and safety personnel, making sure that we're coaching people within the role uh, for critical control management and how they do that. We're um, assisting with things such as skills, the quality in which we do that, making sure that they understand uh, the checklist and the operations team at that level, ensuring that it's done in their area as well. And down the bottom in terms of implementing and supporting, so really ensuring that, um, that everyone is playing a role in ensuring that those particular areas are implemented. And again, both parties operational and health and safety personal, uh, personnel supporting in that area. I also just want to touch base on with Mark going through that level four and five and uh, just from personal experience, um, you know, really the the first level one to three is something that I've heavily been involved in and cannot um, I guess reinforce that having those standards in place really play a a critical role to ensure that those expectations and people's role is defined in that as well. And then where required, that unwanted event uh, moves into more detail, such as level four and five. So just wanted to sort of just give a bit of, um, I guess, experience in that area there too. Thanks,
1: Caitlin. So in in terms of responsibilities, um, Caitlin, you've had a, a fair bit of involvement in rolling out critical control management programs Um, Mm -hmm. where do you see some of the confusion lying particularly as you start to create ownership around what needs to be focused on um, whether it be a, a high frequency um um event or a high potential event have you had much experience in role confusion and confusion around what people need to do
0: yeah definitely so um one that stood out to me is uh, when you begin to roll out your, your critical control program, uh, you often ask uh, employees, you know, could you tell me what the critical risks or what are the high potential uh, risks for your area? And one thing that stood out to me is that a lot of uh, employees say, oh, you know, manual handling or we injure our, um, uh, our hands and fingers, so a lot of cuts on hands and fingers. And I really find that uh, understanding or what the definition of a high potential is in terms of that catastrophic event is not necessarily understood for employees and managers. Uh, They tend to really focus on um, high frequency and ones that, that occur a lot. So there has to be a lot of education around what does a high potential look like? uh, What is a high frequency? And not taking away from injuries such as manual handling, but just making sure that people know what the big ticket items are and why it is so important or so critical that controls are in place there to prevent a catastrophic event. But yeah, it's definitely stood out to me that um, people don't tend to understand what the critical risks or the high potentials are for their program. And there are things, or they are things that we work really hard on so that people know what the top five are, uh, and more importantly, they know how to manage those.
1: That's a really good point, Caitlin. And for those that have missed our first webinar where we spoke about identifying materially unwanted events, it's, it's probably worth just reflecting on that and, and looking at that webinar as you just start to embark on setting roles um, as we're speaking about today. Um, again, some examples on the screen here. Um, uh, comparing what a basic level one or two might look like compared to a level four or five, is um, you know, a lot of organisations do have safe work method statements in place um, to uh, help manage high-risk work. What often organisations forget is um, not only ensuring that the safe work method statement is fundamentally focused on high-risk activity, like Caitlin said, but also being really clear on what are the critical controls. Um, and keeping those front of mind for the end user. Um, they can get lost in the, in the forest if not careful. So really trying to highlight and prioritize those um, often is, is really valuable. Um, working through to the leading practice, and look, this is straight out of the ICMM guidelines. So um, it's a really good example of how ownership can be created at different levels of the organization from a senior manager through a supervisor. Um, and what role they may have to play um, in identifying, confirming unwanted events, critical controls, um, and the verification process. Um, breaking those, ownership down into some specific activities, again, just going to another level of detail, um, some organisations find really useful, particularly if it's a controlled environment, um, like a manufacturing site or a construction site that's um, relatively stable. Um, Caitlin, you know, we've worked a fair bit in the services industry, and it's fair to say that um, every day is different, so going to this level of detail is you know, somewhat challenging. Um, Caitlin, from your example, going into the level of detail around what we've, we've said, said, here, do you, do you see that as a, as a practical way of being able to implement a critical control management program in the services industry?
0: Yeah, look, I think it, I think it definitely helps with people understanding what their role is in the overall program, and having some guidance on that. Um, but do agree with you in that if the environment changes daily, and uh, in some industries they could be at a different site every single day, um, the role can change. So some clarification around that may be needed. But um, it does help. I, I find that it does help if people know what their role is within the program, and you know what the role is in terms of flexibility if needed.
1: Yeah, great. I'll, that comes back to some of those principles around high um, reliability. It's just trying to build in a bit of flexibility in there and tailoring it to your organisational need. So after really understanding and setting clear expectations on what's important, what the critical controls are, and how they're actually verified. Mm. It's also um, a great opportunity for organizations to build the right capability around that as part of their critical control management program. So often organizations revert straight to training, formal training. Um, Capability obviously is much broader than just training and much broader than just people. Um, Often there's plant and equipment, processes, systems, the work environment in place in which organizations operate all need to be considered in terms of setting the organization up for success um, we've also got here a reference to the 70 2010 model so Caitlin uh, from your example you, have you um, applied the 70 2010 principles or at least have some sort of stories or examples where you think that may or, or may not work
0: yeah look um- definitely applied all of those so sometimes uh, in the past have just done formal training where people go in you know they're in a classroom type environment um, undertake the training uh, and then walk out and uh, I find that that one there is probably being the most uh, ineffective in terms of engaging that workforce uh, with the program that you are rolling out just because it it doesn't have that practical uh, application so um, where success is with training uh, from my experience is when you do have some of that formal but you also you know out on the job working alongside these people whilst they're doing their activities such as an operational activity so you're understanding what their demands are and how they apply particularly that training to that area and then following it up with some coaching, um, just to ensure that the quality, uh, you know, is there. They're doing them effectively, uh, coaching them on any, um, you know, strengths or and recognizing those as well as any improvement areas. And also that accountability piece with that with that coaching post that training so um, definitely had a play in all of those and find that that combination of the 70 2010 uh, does work most effectively, if you're trying to upskill um, build that capability and then sustain that, uh, as well as that accountability piece, as I mentioned.
1: Yeah, great. And in terms of identifying what those capability requirements are for people, um, it's, it's often good to stop and reflect on what are the requirements of the program itself um, and who needs to be aware of how it's pulled together and the right competencies to do that. Uh, and also puts on the ground verification activity around the critical control um, um, mechanisms in the field. So if we now just go through some critical control um, Common pitfalls and leading practices around performance standards. Um, now, fundamentally, um, if you don't identify the material unwanted event or the critical control correctly in the first place, well, the performance standards are doomed to fail. So, again, first principles in webinars one and two. You now, building the right capability uh, and getting it right to begin with is really important. Um, Setting the bar too high. So that, that principle that we spoke around from level one through to five, um, we often say: start small, test, learn. Um, if you, you fail and learn, that's fine. Um, aim for improvement and and then build on on that um, in a staged approach, rather than trying to bite off too much too early. Um, the other um, pitfall, really, as you start to pull together performance criteria, if that's you know something that you intend on doing, um, it's just being really clear. Using the SMART principles and making sure that they're very specific and measurable, um, and more importantly, verifiable. So, what you want to be able to do is actually have something that people can use in the field um, rather than it just being an academic exercise on theory or, or some sort of system. Um, Over dependence on, on critical controls. So, I spoke very briefly. Um, I around having some sort of um, level of independence between the critical controls and ensuring performance standards support that. So if one fails, um, all the rest don't fail together. And lastly, um, jumping into solution mode too quickly. So really being clear on what the capability requirements are um, before sort of jumping into any sort of solution mode or, or trying to solve the problem too early. Um, From your experience, Caitlin, I mean, do any of those pitfalls or leading practices resonate uh, with your experience?
0: Yeah, particularly the third one around vague performance criteria or it's grey or open for interpretation. So that's one that's uh, definitely questioned or, you know, you go out on site to verify controls and you see different levels of standard based on that interpretation. So making sure that they're really clear um, suggests that, you know, they're trialled beforehand and any, any potential for people to interpret them, um, you know, is consistent uh, across that audience there.
1: Yeah, great. And often it's um, a a bit of a trade off um, if you're trying to develop um, a very simple critical control management program and you aren't necessarily going into that level of detail and specifics, sometimes there needs to be a level of pragmatism around how you verify that that things are effective.
0: Mm -hmm. I have that one pop up a lot with uh, working at heights. You know, you know specifically what height do you need to um, have permits? What height do you need to have, uh, you know, fall arrest equipment? Um, all, lots of things around that, and you know, do you measure the height from your feet? Uh, so lots of things and lots of uh, quirky questions around that one, and um, that's one that I've just been working through at the moment as a as a challenge actually.
1: Yeah, great. Okay. Well, look. Um, thanks, Caitlin. Over to you, Sarah. We've we'll got a poll here. If you wouldn't mind getting that started.
2: I'm just launching a poll. Okay.
1: So, so, the question today is what topics would benefit your organization? Um, hopefully, you can select more than one. So, the topics range today from um, defining responsibilities around the critical control management program, for those broader roles in the program itself, um, some specific responsibilities around critical controls and ownership on critical controls. Um, performance criteria for each of the critical controls or unwanted events, the um, capability, and lastly, um, delivering on that capability. Sarah, you've also got another option there too, if people want to use the chat. Yeah,
2: <clears throat> with a little typo in the end there, so ignore that.
1: <laughs> That's my fault, Sarah, for getting it to too so late. Yeah.
2: Well, there's a clear winner here. Um, I'll just wait a few more seconds if it is a competition. Okay. Here you
1: go. Yeah, look, you're right. You're right there, uh, Sarah. Eighty-three um, percent performance criteria for critical controls. So. As I mentioned, you know, it is one of the more misunderstood areas and more complex areas around critical control management. Um, and again, it's it's not something that you necessarily need to do right away, but um, certainly can add lots of value if you get it right. So, thank you, Sarah. Very good. So, just looking at the time, we've, we've got five minutes. We're trying to allow a little bit of time for for, for Q and A at the end. Um, a bit of feedback that we've had over the last few webinars is um, h- how do I deploy a safety software around critical control management? So um, we, we always reinforce to get your requirements right first. Um, so as mentioned within this webinar, setting those performance standards and getting the process up right first is absolutely critical for jumping into solution mode. So. Um, We use um, a number of different ways to help organizations do that um, through either facilitated workshops, um, the workbook we've made reference to and other means, to really get the foundational process right first uh, before getting too far down the path of trying to configure any sort of systems or select a system to to support this. Um, It's also probably worth adding too that as you start to grow and mature, having some sort of safety software is, is certainly really valuable. So I'm starting to see some chats come through the the um, webinar there, Sarah. So, um, well,
2: that was me. That all was right. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sharing the link for the next week's webinar. So the rest of the series.
1: So. Ah, very good. Well, look, um, at time times well with the the slide we've got at the moment. So, um, so yeah, um, as mentioned already, this is a six part series. Um, this is three of six. Um. We've already had a chat to, to both Terry and, and Adam, and, and next week, Beck's coming on board to, to talk about a little bit more on her experience on actually verifying critical controls in the field and evaluating the broader critical control management program.
2: Okay, there's a question for you, um, or Caitlin. Peter asks, um, this, is, this is great advice, but how do you get this information slash practice into senior management daily business?
0: Yeah, that's a really a really good question. So um, you really need, and I I hate using the word journey, but you really need to take your senior management uh, on the journey um, in terms of why we're putting in place things such as performance standards. So it's around making sure that particularly those uh, unwanted events or catastrophic events are prevented and really having them understand the context of that. Um, You know, personally, for me, that includes uh, talking about, you know, we want to prevent a fatality, um, we want to prevent reputational damage, uh, we don't want to be in the media, um, we don't want the regulator, you know, there, and we want to keep, you know, most importantly, keep our employees safe. So really having them understand how, once we outline that performance criteria, we put a, you know, a program in which I find is quite an easy to program to understand in terms of control management, how we can prevent that uh, and protect our people, the business, and them. Um, it's something where you really have to get involved. Uh, you know, ask them what what is keeping them awake at night, uh, or what would keep you awake at night, and what would you do in these circumstances to really try and get senior management buy-in. And I found that um, in my experience. Uh, once you go through that, we're going to focus on, you know, the real big ticket items and they understand the reason why due to the consequences, they're, they're mostly on board uh, as well as involving them in things such as the bow tie. And they get a really good understanding of, of why we're doing it there as well.
1: We've also got an, another question here, Sarah. Uh, Pete, Peter Harris, or is this the same question? Doing advice from senior management. Okay, same question. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> good. So um, <laughs> Natalie, I recall working together and providing some real-life examples of things going wrong, um, But yeah. it in your own organisation or externally. Often helps too.
0: The other one that's uh, been quite good is, um, you know, a, a mock court on around, you know, what what can happen, and, and also um, having senior managers own, you know, things such as the performance standards. So we might facilitate, coordinate uh, the workshops to identify what the criteria is but really um, engaging them in that, you know, let's go through this together. Let's make sure, you know, it's achievable. They understand the reason why, and, you know, they have the sign off there and the ownership uh, as well.
1: And depending on the maturity of the organization, certainly drivers around this ties in nicely with driving high performance and the right sort of behaviors. Um, Organizations usually want to try and strive towards in terms of getting things right for um, it, it being a, a moral obligation um, and tying in with the values of the business too.
0: Just one other thing on that it's, 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 a, it's a question that, that, that um, it's such an important thing in order to get your program up and running and being successful but something like the health and safety index uh, w- which we did with FIFO it outlined uh, where we sat on the index and also benchmarked us against um, you know other companies and best practice that's something that was a good driver for senior management on, you know, we're sitting here, how do we get into that best practice and what, what can we do? Uh, and a bit of competitive competitiveness uh, there as well always helps.
1: So Sarah, it's, um, it's hit one o'clock my time. Um, is there anything else we need to cover up before we call things to a close?
2: Um, <clears throat> no, there's no more questions. So I think we're all good. Um, people know that in the email today, they get your contact details if they want to ask any other questions. Um, I'm just noting that in a lot of these webinars, we get the same sort of questions about convincing senior management uh, um, all the time. So I'm thinking we might actually arrange next year a sort of panel-based webinar um, on that topic. So um but yes so all good for now um, thank you caitlin that was really excellent and thank you mark and um, we'll catch you next week and um yeah check, uh, keep an eye on your um inbox uh, later today for the email for the recording and podcast if you want to share that with other people so thanks everyone great thank you. Thanks. Sure. okay bye